Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Newspaper editors don't often grant interviews, and you hardly ever find their names next to articles or opinion columns. As the people with overall responsibility for what goes into print, they prefer to let their papers do the talking. But there are some stories that warrant further explanation. And in this final episode of Expenses, the man who led the paper during the scandal breaks a 10-year silence to tell us what it was like. Millions of receipts of expenses claims by all MPs. Mr Speaker. The Daily Telegraph has obtained them all. We need to recognise and understand how angry people are. We locked these guys in a room and we just said, here's the disc, work out, start going through it. I'm Pete Norton, and this is Expenses, a podcast about journalism, politics, and what it's like to bring a huge national secret into the light. My name is William Lewis, and I worked at Telegraph from 2005 to 2010. And I am now publisher of the Wall Street Journal, and I'm also CEO of Dow Jones. Well, 10 years ago, it was a great place. The Telegraph was a, a wonderful Will place. Will Lewis began his journalistic career in the early 1990s as a business reporter at the Daily Mail and quickly rose up the ranks, becoming business editor of the Financial Times in 2002, city editor of the Telegraph in 2005, and then becoming the Telegraph's youngest ever editor-in-chief in 2006 at the tender age of 38. He was known and admired on Fleet Street for his energy, his nose for a story, and for his ability to motivate other journalists around him. And when the expenses material came to the paper, on that red hard drive, in the spring of 2009, it fell to him to make the final call on whether they could go ahead and publish or not. Now, you could work as an editor for decades and never face such a decision, but Lewis had been in his post for less than three years when it came calling on him. Unpacking what happened there, what went through his mind, the processes he followed, can give us a window not only onto the editor, but onto the journalistic operation he was leading. So I began by asking him to take us back into the few days before The Telegraph went to print with expenses, when material from the drive was building up and the pressure was beginning to mount. Did he remember the moment when he became sure that they could publish? So in the movies, editors make big calls, right? And, you know, and then they loosen their tie and drink whiskey. I think it was always, well, I don't drink whiskey. So I try to avoid situations where there are big calls. I'm, I'm really into iterative processes, right? So we try and just break it down, right? So let's go step by step with this thing. Don't get overexcited at any stage. We may end up publishing, but you're ahead of yourself, right? So for me, this was just another stage in, in a potential process. And so we seemed like we tasted the goods and looked like it was kosher, um, not proven, right? Um, but enough for us to go to the next stage but at no point 
until Jack Straw emailed back his confirmation did I agree to publication. We actually referred to this email from Jack Straw in the first episode of Expenses. But if that seems like a long time ago, or if you're coming in cold, here's a brief recap. Straw was the Justice Secretary in 2009. And combing through the hard drive, our reporters discovered that he'd accidentally overclaimed for his council tax bill by 50% and had had to pay money back to the fees office. This revelation that the man in charge of the criminal justice system had made the kind of accounting error that regularly lands ordinary people in court was clearly a scoop of the highest order. But as part of the carefully iterative process that Lewis describes, rather than rush ahead and publish, they had then sent him a formal letter outlining what they'd found and asking for his comment. And instead of denying it, or threatening the Telegraph with legal action, Straw's email reply was, yes, he had made an error, but it was an innocent one, and had been corrected. Up until that point, I, and it sounds really boring, because it is meant to be really boring, We, if you've got a bunch of naturally excitable, excited journalists, they will naturally go straight to publication, right? Point, that's where they're heading, right? Which is what you want them to be. As an editor on my team around me, Tony... That's Tony Gallagher, who was Lewis's deputy in 2009. Chris was then news editor. Chris Evans now editor. Mark Skitworth, the really important person in this whole process as well. I had a very, very senior team, all very level-headed, right? So if ever there were signs that I was getting overexcited, Tony would be like, knock, knock, Will... Right. And we kept each other on the level because if you're asking a, a growing team of investigative reporters to, to get, they're going to get excited and you can get yourself carried away. So we went through a very, very methodical process with this. We got legal involved. We did research beyond what we would normally have done. And, and bit by bit, we got more and more comfortable before the Jack Straw email. But it wasn't until the Jack Straw email that we were prepared to press the publication button. Looking in at the story, 10 years distant, it's possible to imagine this being the point when things got easier for Lewis and his team. Because if you survey the six weeks of coverage that followed, it all looks so orderly and well-prepared. From the page designs, to the steady drumbeat of revelations, to the uncanny way in which every day's front page seemed to advance the paper's coverage in a new direction. It's as if a detailed blueprint had been drawn up beforehand, which the journalists now simply had to execute. But the truth is rather different. We had committed to doing each political party in a fair and balanced way so there wouldn't be any kind of old Tory graph type approach and whatever. So I was I was committed to that and I you know, was very vocal about that if anyone cared to ask me. And I, any time a politician phoned up to complain, I would say that. Uh, but other than that, no, it was, um, I think, because I didn't want to say we need to fill six weeks' papers. So I wanted to say, well, it depends what we get. Right. And, and the investigation was not complete when we started the process. Right. We, we began publishing and actually some of the m- most disgusting stuff, actually, we discovered while we were already publishing stories. So I think people don't realize it was it was it was not wasn't like we did our homework and then delivered Slow it. Slow release. It was, yeah. it was in it. That's why the machine was so impressive. Right. We were publishing, but they were also preparing stuff and investigating stuff for a week later. Another aspect of this story that seems surprising, given what ultimately played out, is the fact that when they began publishing, Lewis and his team didn't have a clear sense of how the story would be received. 
the first few days weren't the signs weren't that good okay so um whether it was the rather hostile reception uh under brackets understated british version of uh rather hostile i mean the politicians didn't like it at all um whether it was the deeply unsupportive nature of our competitors who said the real story is not what's in the disc but how did will lewis and his team get the disc so um very unsupportive initial media environment as well i was in you know without showing it outwardly i was thinking internally okay this is interesting we've got ourselves a interesting situation here and then something really magical happened um uh, I was asked to go on uh, Question Time, which was in Grimsby, I believe, and I couldn't go. I was, you know, at my desk, and I, and I explained, but I, I thought we we should probably be represented because it was a, a special all about MPs expenses. So Benedict Brogan went. Of the paper which broke the story of who claimed what, Benedict Brogan from the Daily Telegraph. And in those days, I don't know if it's still the case, but it was kind of slightly pre-recorded, it's like an hour before. So I had a, we were hard at work here, I had a slightly garbled message from Benedict. And he said, okay, you got to watch it, make sure you watch it. And I was like, okay, fine. So I was slightly worried about what I find. We switched it on. And as the programme unfolded and as you could sense the deep anger from the audience to the MPs saying, well, I did nothing wrong, it was all within the rules. People can't understand why MPs make the claims that they do. And there are, there are two reasons for that. One of, them is because, one of them is because it's not appreciated. And then when Steve Easterbrook with McDonald's CEO got this rousing reception by saying... I think what's unfolded in front of us over the last couple of weeks, quite frankly, is nothing short of a national disgrace. At that point, I knew it'd be fine. I knew that the the great British public, in its deep wisdom, had recognised that that we had done the right thing by bringing this uh, censored information, hidden information, to, to light, and that as long as we kept on our game and we delivered accurate information and we treated people fairly and we helped them, uh, we allowed them to make comments and responses, as long as we did our job, then uh, we would be okay and this would be incredibly well supported by the great British public as it went on to, to be. In spite of such obvious success, Lewis still looks back on this period as six of the most taxing and unenjoyable weeks of his life. He'll tell us why, right after this. Hi, my name's Sasha Slater and I head up The Telegraph's magazines. Unlike the journalists who uncovered the expenses scandal, we don't go to print every day, which means we have the luxury of being able to spend a little longer crafting our journalism. That means we can publish long-form pieces that really get to the heart of the story, Just this week, our wonderful writer Mick Brown was named Feature Writer of the Year for his astonishing investigation of false memory syndrome and a fraudulent therapist. But, as we all know, time means money, and that's where our subscribers come in. We just can't commission the stories you like reading without them. So, 
If you'd like to support what we're doing and to get unlimited access to the huge range of quality journalism on politics, business, lifestyle and more, go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio, where we have a special listener offer. You can get 30 days free access to The Telegraph online and then after that, it's just £2 a week. That's telegraph.co.uk forward slash audio or click on the link in the show notes to this episode. Okay, so I got excited for like literally a nanosecond and then began the six of the most ghastly weeks of my life because, I mean, it was high stress, high energy, tension, very cross politicians of every party. And so that sense of excitement didn't last that long. And and then we we were, you know, fully understanding our sense of responsibility, both to the information, to reporting in an incredibly professional way so that we didn't expose any of the MPs' personal details in a way that would be wrong. Um, and we had to be right on it for that entire period of time. We couldn't afford mistakes. So what people, I don't think, understand is that this was like producing a copy of the Sunday Times every day for six consecutive weeks. Talking of production, I've got a stack here of loads of copies of The Telegraph dating from the 8th of May 2009 to the 24th of June. We've got um, the resignation of the Speaker. We've got the Duck House. We've got suggestions that MPs might have been breaking the law. Um, what, looking back on these, what kind of memories and associations do they hold for you? Yeah, well, it's, it's well, thank you for putting it in front of me. I mean, it's, I feel very emotional, actually. I mean, it's like, a, I mean, like I, I haven't spoken about this for 10 years, right? So, I, and I think it probably left its scars. And again, not to personalise it, I think, you know, it was, it was a great experience for the, for the Daily Telegraph, for readers, for the public. But it was a tough, it was a tough experience. And so I haven't actually talked about it literally to anyone for 10 years. So um, it's quite cathartic, actually. The thing about them, no one at any point said we're getting bored, right? No one at any point said you're overdoing it. No one at any point said, oh, now now you've gone too far. So that's the real sense of pride, right? Is that we just kept, we kept it real all the way through. And so, no, it's great. It's just great to reminisce. And then I should probably stop talking about the old days and get back to work. Before we let you go, how do you see the legacy of this story as having played out? Well, I, I, I so wish the MPs had listened up 10 years ago to the public anger, um, instead of kind of thinking that actually poor us and isn't it terrible and we're being misunderstood and it was all within the rules. Because I do think that a lot of the really, really fundamental um, disconnect between the British people and MPs that we see laid bare now, where I I wonder whether it's bridgeable given um, the current situation. I wonder whether a lot of that would not have come to pass if 10 years ago the MPs had recognised that what this MPs' expenses scandal showed was that the system was rotten. And the system... Beyond just expenses. Yeah, I think it showed the system was rotten. And that... um, In what way? I think that, that 
for me in particular, the um, kind of uncodified nature of our constitution and the fact that the lawmakers get to write the laws for themselves and they set their own rules. I think now looking back, this is a really good example of of that. And um, I, I wonder whether there's, there's going to be a need in this next few months and years for a proper national conversation about how we want to set rules for our lawmakers. We, we need great lawmakers. We need to attract people to parliament of the very highest quality. But I can't be anyone that believes that we need to, the public needs to set the boundaries for, for in which the lawmakers operate. And, and that for me requires a greater degree of certainty about what the constitution is. So for me, looking back, it wasn't this at the time, the MPs' expenses scandal really was the first serious warning bell for a system that is no longer fit for purpose. And what about what happened at the paper? How do you see that 10 years on? I'm, I feel a great sense of pride, not for me, but for the team and for the Telegraph and, and what they achieved. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I've been in this industry 30 years. I've never, still to this day, seen anything like it. It's, it was an incredible whirling, twirling machine and, um, and, 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 and deeply professional the whole way through. It struck me in making this series how widely shared this feeling is among the journalists who worked on expenses. They all talk about the team above any one individual and they all single it out as something unique, not experienced before or since. You could make a list of the factors that enabled The Telegraph to bring this investigation to light. Our tenacious reporters, our cool-headed news executives, the experience of our lawyer, the groundwork laid by campaigners, the media landscape in 2009. But there'd still be something unexplained. I've been trying to put my finger on it for weeks, searching for the force that held this group of people together and ultimately pushed them into the journalistic history books. And listening back across the interviews recently, I think I might have found it, hidden in plain sight. No one quite says it, but it runs like a ribbon throughout. What kept them going, I think, was the uncomfortable, almost radioactive quality that some secrets have. And not just one secret, but thousands of them. More secrets, in this case, than any team of journalists had ever been tasked with revealing before. Let me put it this way. If you've ever been party to something that shouldn't have been hidden, that you know other people should hear about, then take the memory of that feeling, that sharp little stone in your shoe, and multiply it. Make it a dozen secrets or a hundred. Make it more secrets than you've ever had to keep at one time. Imagine how that might motivate you. And imagine the lengths you might go to to get those secrets out into the light. Expenses was produced by me, Pete Norton, and Theodora Leloudis. Our theme music was composed by Elliot Lampitt, who also helped to edit and engineer the series. We're mixed by David Crackles. Thanks to all of our interviewees, to Robert Winnett and Chris Hope, to Matt Pritchett, Heather Brook, Norman Baker, Arthur Wynne-Davies and Will Lewis. And to all of the people, both in and outside the paper, 
who helped us get this show together. You know who you are. And if this series has whetted your appetite for more audio from The Telegraph, we've included links to some of our other podcasts in the show notes, and we'll keep you up to date on future developments via this feed. So stay subscribed. And stick around for a final postscript, coming in just a moment. Thanks for listening. We couldn't end this series without a few words from the most important people of all at a newspaper, the readers. And as you'll know if you've ever read it, The Telegraph has a lively, opinionated and often uproariously funny letters page right in the middle of the paper. So to close us out, here are a few of the letters that were printed there during the expenses period as written by our readers and read by some of our friends. 9th of May 2009 Sir, once Westminster has been cleaned up, will we have the stomach to set about cleaning out those other Orgean stables in Brussels? Adrian Danby, Tunbridge Wells, Kent. 11th of May 2009. Sir, forget John Prescott's lavatory seats. The real scandal of the expenses affair is Sean Woodward's 38 pence Muller yogurt. He could have had four for a pound. Peter Bradshaw, Liverpool. 13th of May, 2009. Sir, my 35-year-old son decided to apply for a deputy headship in a failing school in North London. Call this altruistic if you will, but such is the nature of those with a true vocation. He spent four weeks in a travel lodge before finding a bedsit that he could afford to rent in order to be at his workplace from 7am to 7pm, all of this at his own cost. Compare and contrast... Carolyn Andrews, Bournemouth, Dorset. 7th of June, 2009. Sir, one of the most nauseating phrases used in the recent expenses scandal and also the leadership debacle is the British public want us to get on with. Insert, saving the public, the nation, the world. This arrogant and inaccurate assumption of the electorate's feelings has only served to fan the flames of public resentment. Dr A.E. Hanwell. York. 14th of May, 2009. Sir, can someone put me in touch with the MP's financial advisor? My troops here in Afghanistan are eager to claim for second home allowances, furnishings and a reduction in council tax charges for the palatial accommodations we find ourselves in, courtesy of MPs. We've also found it difficult to commute to our normal, fully taxed homes in Britain. Sergeant Major Max Jackson, Afghanistan. 12th of May 2009 Today I received a letter from my local library informing me that my request for George's comic treasure hunt by Lucy and Stephen Hawking £7.99 cannot be met because they're constrained by limited spending on books Edward Buckton, age 9, Burnham-on-Sea 15th of May 2009 Sir, it is abundantly clear that Parliament no longer has any credibility. The sooner the whole institution is disbanded and replaced with a body that not only represents the electorate, but is also honest and transparent, the better. E.W. Parkman, Eastbourne, East Sussex. 22nd of May, 2009. Sir, I have a duck house. It cost me under one pound. I got an old pallet from a skip at the builder's merchant... Cost, zero. An old creosote tin, cost, zero. A lick of paint from a half-used tin, cost, 
a few pence, and some baler twine, again, a few pence, with some branches cut down to camouflage it. I must admit, I was spending my own money. Adrian Hill, Badgemore, Oxfordshire. Thank you.